If you have not done so already, we would invite our children all the way up through grades two. Now that the school year has started, if you are in third grade, you get to hang out with us. But if you are still in second grade or below, we would invite you to head out the door to Children's Church. It looks like they are still out there, so you are not too late. For the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1. And we're going to be picking up in verse 13 this morning. This is James chapter 1, verse 13. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And I appreciate all of you that knew that was coming and just stayed standing up. Good job, guys. I know, I know that we don't do the same thing every week or anything like that. And the Word of the God says this. It says, let no one say when he is tempted... That when they were together, that this young man had really made a profession of faith and at one point had even in some way said that he would surrender to some sort of call in ministry. And he said, what's wrong? You got nothing. That's because it's not turned on, Liz. How about now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Technology. Anyways... They had, he had had, and he said, you know, I just want to serve the Lord with my life. Fast forward about 20 years. And as these two men are together, one of them had gone on to serve the Lord. He was pastoring a church and, and had, had, uh, was living out the, the commitments that they had made together. While the other one had walked away from his faith completely. Eventually, as they reminisced, they began to talk about the faith that they once shared. And the one who walked away finally said, you know, when I left the faith, I thought I would feel really bad. I thought. Reality, I felt nothing. And then as they began to discuss more, he finally said this. He said, can you honestly say that Christianity 
has actually been good for humanity. And I really truly believe that the question that this, this man had asked his pastor friend really dug down into the heart of the matter and the heart of his faith journey. See, this man had began to doubt the very character and the very nature of God. That he began to say to himself, well, what good is this Christianity done? And by that extent, what good is this Jesus really done for the world? And by extension, what good has religion and what good has God and the existence of God really done for the world? And he began to question the goodness of God. And in questioning the goodness of God, he began to slip further and further away from him. Much like the serpent in the garden in Genesis 3, he had begun to ask whether God was really good and worthy of his trust. A.W. Tozer had said this, he said, We wonder why we don't have faith. And the answer is, faith is confidence in the character of God. And if we don't know what kind of God that God is, then we can't have faith. This pastor's friend had lost confidence in the character of God and therefore had lost confidence in faith and in Christianity and he had ultimately walked away from God entirely. In our passage today, Jesus is also addressing the question and even accusation regarding the character of God. And it's my hope and prayer that as we dive into this text today, that we might be able to get a clearer picture of who God is, of the character and the nature of God, and through that, that we might have confidence in the God in whom we have placed our trust, and that our faith might be strengthened because of it. So you may ask the question, you may say, okay, what is this accusation that James is addressing? And we see that right off the bat in our passage when he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. See, there's this exhortation here. He's telling them, don't say this. Don't say when you're going through stuff, don't say I'm being tempted by God. Because you are actually, because there's actually really an accusation being made here. You're saying that whatever's going on in your world, whatever is happening in your life, that, that God is the direct cause of that and God is the one who is making you go through this. Now, for some of us, we may look at this and say, well, th th that's not a big deal. That's, is that, you know, because that, you know, tempt, that's not a bad, that's not a bad word, right? But, the reality is, is when we think about this word tempting, it actually means a little bit more in our text than probably what we often think. We think of tempting as someone who is, uh, who is wafting a, a piece of food under your nose and trying to say, oh, come on and stay for, stay for an extra piece. Or, or, hey, why don't you come over and eat and we're going to do this. And we think, oh, you know, and you're on a diet and you're saying, oh, no, don't tempt me with that kind of food. Or we think tempting is saying, hey, man. I got one extra ticket for the Kentucky game. I know you said you had stuff to do on Saturday, but don't you want to go to the game? We think that is tempting, right? We're like, ooh, that's really tempting, but my wife will kill me if I don't get the yard mode. We think that, but and, and to us, that, if that's tempting, that's not that bad. But the actual word tempting here means that, that you are being provoked into sin. 
that God is provoking you, that this is what you're saying, that, that God is provoking you, that he is pushing you to commit sin. That God is trying to get you to mess up, that he is trying to get you to fall, that he is ultimately trying to get you to sin. And we may ask the question, well, and you'd say, well, no, I wouldn't say that. That makes God sound like, like some villains. God's trying to be some wicked person that's trying to make me mess up. I wouldn't say that. Why would anybody say something like that? But remember, this whole time in this first chapter of the book of James, the, the, the context has been about trials. And while and we get trials, don't we? We may not get why they would say, well, God is tempting me, but we get trials. And we get going through hard times and we get struggling. And I could see how you would start to, to, to conflate the two words, trials and temptation. And we'd say that, that trials and temptation, well, those are kind of the same thing. And, 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 and so when I'm going through trials, God's wanting me to mess up because that's what, this is what he's doing. And so they would even kind of get to conflate those two words to the point where they were saying, God is the one who is tempting me. And I think even us today may feel on occasion that the things going on in our lives are God pushing us, maybe even provoking us into failure and into sin. But in that moment, we need to remember what James himself has already said about the purpose of trials. If we go back to verse 3, he says that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The people uh, that James is addressing has put trials and temptations into the same thing and not realize that the purpose of these two things is actually very, very different. When we go through hard times, when we struggle to know what to do, we assume that God is provoking us that we might make a mistake and sin against him. But temptation is contrary to the character and the nature of God. And we even see that in our passage today. So let's start off by talking about temptation. What is temptation? We've already defined temptation for you based on, on what the Bible says about temptation. Temptation is provoking, pushing, um, tricking someone into sin. This accusation is in verse 14, and it says that um, let no one say that I'm being tempted by God. But then let's look just, just past that in verse 14, and let's see what it says. It says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So temptation is actually not from God, but rather from our own desires. See, that word lust does mean the word lust that we often think about today, but it also just means your earthly desires. And it says that temptation is the result of us having earthly desires that are being fed, that are being kind of enticed, that are being kind of uh, um, made, made aware to, to create an appetite for our worldly desires. This means that temptation is not directly from God, rather that it is from our own sinfulness. 
But it is our own flesh working against us. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is more deceitful than all else. And it is desperately sick. And why? And who can understand it? Jeremiah was reminding the people of Israel that, that, that their flesh, that the very, their very innards, if I may use the word, is corrupted by sin. And because of that corruption, they, that it, it deceives us and it lies to us and it tries to convince us that even bad things might be good. That is not to say that the enemy, that Satan does not play a role in our temptation, that it is not also the enemy who is bringing these temptations into our life, knowing what feeds the flesh and knowing what entices the flesh and using them to that end. Paul himself hints at this when he wrote, For this reason, I would, um, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to, um, to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor might be in vain. That's 1 Thessalonians 3.5. See, even Paul was very much aware that there is a tempter, that there is an enemy that is out there trying to lure God's people away from walking with God and trusting in God and being satisfied in God. And so we see really ultimately three things working against us, against us in the area of temptation. The first is the enemy. Satan is constantly bringing temptation into our life in order to get us to fall. Second is our own flesh. And our flesh works against us because it is from our flesh that we are tempted. That it is, it is the appeal to our fleshly nature. It is the appeal to our carnal desires that we are lured into temptation. And finally, I would say, and it's not in the text, but it is elsewhere in the text, it is the world. For 1 John, it says that friendship with the world, actually, I think it's James, friendship with the world is enmity towards God. And that we live in a fallen world, and in this fallen world is constantly trying to pull us to be more concerned with the things of this world than we are with the things that regard eternity. And so if we notice, when we talk about temptation, we have the tempter, we have our own flesh, we have the, whole, uh, the world all trying to tempt us and lure us and push us into sin. You know who's not part of that group? God the Father. For his desire and his goal is not to see that happen. When we think about what temptation actually does, we can go back to verse 14 and it talks about how we are both enticed and carried away by temptation. Several commentaries pointed out that this is actually a reference to fishing. And as a guy who likes to fish, this makes perfect sense to me. This is something I'm even trying to teach my boys. We, we go out to, to some of the ponds in this, and lakes in this area and try to fish. I'm trying to say, listen, first off, Joseph, you can't catch fish if you don't have anything in the water. That's rule number one. That seems like a fair rule, right? But along with that is what we put out in the water has to be something they actually want to eat. So this last time that Joseph and I went fishing, he got a new tackle box from my dad. So his grandpa gave him this new tackle box. It's got his initials on it. It's the coolest thing ever. It came with some lures and some cool stuff in it. And so we're out there and we're trying to fish and we've got, we're keeping it simple. We've got some worms and bobbers and we're out there fishing. And all of a sudden Joseph's digging through his tackle box and he's like, dad, I want to use this. And it's like, shing. And he pulls out this gigantic buzz bait. 
Well, he's five. And if you don't know what a buzzbait is, it's a big lure that you reel in really fast and it makes a lot of noise over the top of the water and it's big and you use it to get big bass to come up and hit it. He ain't fishing with this. His pole could not throw it if he wanted to. All he would manage to do is probably body slam it into the weeds right in front of him and then I've lost a lure. And he's like, I want to use this. And I turned and I said, Joseph, that won't work. And he goes, why not? And I said, because the fish don't want to eat that. Because we were catching fish that were about this big. And I said, it won't work. And he couldn't fathom that, that that wouldn't work. I said, we need to use what we've got. We need to use these worms because the fish actually want to eat these things. And so the first thing we had to know about when it came to fish, don't worry, people that don't fish, I'm getting to the point is that we have to entice the fish in order to want to actually eat what we're offering them. You know, if I was on a diet, you could not tempt me with a raisin pie. Because that is not enticing to me. You just know that for a fact. That's not something that is going to entice me. If I throw out this thing that looks like a chicken into the water, that's not going to catch a fish this big. But what has, to, what has to entice them is have to be something they actually want. And that's what temptation does. The first thing it does is it lures you in with something you actually want. Sometimes that thing you may actually want might be a good thing and a godly thing and a biblical thing, but it's going to offer it to you in a way that is separate from what God wants you to have. You may want to have a, a meaningful, godly relationship with someone. Had to be married and to be married to a, a godly spouse. And, 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 and that's part of who we are. And, and Satan knows that. And he says, well, I'm not going to offer you a meaningful, godly relationship. I'm going to offer you physical pleasure right now. And see if that will entice you. You may want to be able to provide for your family and to have a little bit of security in this world and be able to even be generous with what God has blessed you with in the church and on the mission field and all those types of places. But God will say, okay, I'm going to take that, or not God, Satan is going to take that and he say, but I'm going to offer you quick, easy money. And I'm going to offer you the desire to, to, to be wrapped up and consumed in the comforts of this world to the point that you don't even worry about that anymore. Or I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a job that will, will lure you into being a workaholic, thinking that by all of your hard work, that, that where, that's where you'll find your purpose and your meaning. And so... The enemy entices you with sometimes things that might even at the very heart of it be good, but he will entice you with a, a corrupted version of it in order to lure you into sin. And that's what brings us to the second part of what, what uh, James writes in verse 14, that not only will it entice you, but ultimately it will carry you away. If you've ever been fishing, you know that the moment that that fish hits whatever you have on the hook, whether it's a lure or bait, you set the hook and you begin to reel it in. And so true temptation, the moment it can set the hook on you. And as even James himself says, that when, when temptation is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So too, when you are hooked, you begin to be drugged away by sin. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have allowed temptation to give birth to sin. And that sin has carried me away to a place I never thought I was going to be. 
And it wasn't that it happened just immediately. It wasn't just like when I caught that little fish and it took just a couple of cranks of the reel and he was out of the water. It was slow and it was subtle. And suddenly one day I came to my senses and asked myself, how on earth did I get here? From being a guy who, who followed the Lord and identified as a Christian to a guy who no one would have ever believed was a Christian ever, who was sick and tired of being sick and tired, who was depressed and failing in all areas of life. And suddenly it was just like, what on earth happened? See, that's what temptation does. It lures you with something that's seemingly very safe. You know, the little white lie, the small compromise, the boundary that just gets crossed. And then some days and days, sometimes in days, sometimes in weeks, sometimes in years, that sin drags you to a place that you never thought you would ever be. And I want you to notice where temptation takes you. It says temptation gives birth to sin and sin ultimately Results. When sin is accomplished, this is verse 15, it brings forth death. I was reminded of the words of Solomon in the midst of all this. And in Proverbs chapter 5, he gives this warning. He says, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and is smoother than oil in her speech. There's the entice. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. There's the carried away passage goes on to say her feet go down to death and her steps take hold of the grave that's proverbs 5 5 in just this one example we see all the things that james is talking about where someone entices the 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 desires of our flesh carries this person away into sin and ultimately the destination of sin is death it is an important concept that we need to have an understanding of, especially as it relates to sin, is that there is no such thing as a little sin or a sin that does not hurt anyone. Sin and the enemy has a plan for your life just like God does, but ultimately that plan is to see you destroyed. That is the ultimate goal of sin every time. There is no little sin, there is no little compromise, there is no harmless sin, there is no harmless compromise. No sin will ever release you until it is ultimately brought forth death. First Peter 5.8 speaks of this when he says, Be sober of spirit, be on the alert, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, the word devour does not mean take a nip at. The word devour does not mean kind of leave you a little wounded. The word devoured means ultimately destroyed and ceasing to exist. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, we have an enemy that wants to see us destroyed. And I have news for you, whether you are a follower of Jesus in this room or you are not a follower of Jesus in this room, that enemy still wants, you to, wants to see you destroyed. Devoured, consumed, gone. Every sin, every compromising leading you down the path is leading you down the pathway to death and destruction. And it will not let go of you until your, your life is destroyed. Your life, your marriage, your witness, everything. It is never satisfied until it has 
everything. It's why we should take seriously the words that we read in Romans 6.23 when it says, For the wages of sin is death. That is what sin brings. But. See, Romans 6.23 does not end with just that statement, for the wages of sin is death, but rather it continues with that favorite word of mine, And it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to wrap your mind around this today, that everything about temptation, death, sin, Satan, the flesh, all of this is contrary to the very character and nature of God. See, what? remember at the very beginning of this, people were saying, well, God is tempting me. But the reality is, is everything about God is contrary to everything about temptation. When we begin to understand that this is what temptation is, that temptation is our flesh and the enemy working against us to see us destroyed, And then we go and say, but who is God? We see a very different and wonderful picture of the God that we serve and that we love. See, the temptation births sin that brings forth death. But God is a living God who brings forth eternal life. Therefore, God does not tempt because temptation has no power over him and he has no desire to see temptation have power over you. Instead, he provides the ways that we might resist temptation and live. First Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation you, no temptation, excuse me, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. I want you to think about this picture for just a moment. The people that James are addressing are saying, God is tempting me. But Paul is writing, no, God is providing every exit ramp, every opportunity and everything you need so that you might resist temptation and live. Amen? There's got, it's got to be good news for us. And not only is he doing that, but even when we fall, even when we mess up, even when we don't get that first ramp and sin does conceive and give birth to sin, God does not abandon us. God does not forsake us. God does not forget about us or leave us to go down the path of destruction. Rather, he is with us every step of the way. This is what it means in the book of James where it says every good and perfect gift is from above. He is reminding the people to whom he is writing is, listen, your trials and the things that you are going through, you feel like those are temptations and you feel like God is trying to cause you to fall. But the reality is, is there is good things that God is doing that you just can't see at the moment. But he is working and every good gift and every perfect gift is coming from above. And sometimes those are the blessings and and, and, in favor of God. Sometimes that is an exit to get you out of your current situation. That God is calling you to himself through whatever God is doing. And he is ready and willing and able to forgive you and put you back on your feet. God is able and powerful enough to move in your life. And it's happening. You just need to see it. That's what God is doing. God is not the one who is tempting you, but rather God is the one that is doing good in your life for his name's sake and for his glory. 
Not only this, but we're reminded in our passage that God never abandons us, even in the midst of temptation. I want to read this again. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Everything given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. See, when we think about what that's saying in that moment is that there is a permanence to God. That when he talks about the light, the father of lights that he is, that this is not a father of lights that goes near and then far. This is not a God who is going to suddenly turn and shift and the the light is going to change and suddenly it's not going to be there anymore. This is not a a God that that, that flickers on and off and, and sometimes he's with you and sometimes he's not. Basically, this is not a God that exists in the world in any other religion. This is the one true God who is the father of lights and he is permanent, steadfast, immovable. Which means he is with you every step of the way. And as the father of lights, he is providing the light so that you might go after him. And that you might follow him. This is not a porch light that goes off after curfew. This is not a security light that goes out when the battery dies. But God is unchanging, unmoving. There is no variation in him and there is no shifting shadow, which means you can trust him. And this is what it means in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when it says that God is faithful. He does not abandon you to temptation. He does not abandon you to sin. He will not forget you. And he will never leave you. So what do we need to understand from our passage today? I'm going to break this all down. Number one, trials do come from God. And they come to all of us. But they are there to build us up. They are there to make us stronger, to make us complete, and to make us perfect for what God has called us to do. Temptation, on the other hand, is not from God. Then its desire is not for our edification and for our building up. Its desire is not to see us made whole or complete, but rather its desire is for our destruction and our death. Number three, we can resist temptation through the power of God working in us. Now, I want to make this clear. You cannot resist temptation on your own. Remember, we've talked about how the the temptation is born out of our own fleshly desires. But through the power of God and the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of all those who believe, we have the power to resist temptation and sin. And finally, if you are in Christ, God is with you. And he will never abandon you, but he will equip you for the ministry that God has called you to. Now, you're going to notice something about this. All of this hangs on do you know Jesus? See, because apart from Christ and apart from the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, which is the gift and the the, seal and the assurance of our salvation, none of this is possible. 
And if you are with us today and you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want you to kind of understand something. As you look around the room, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I have definitely been tempted before and I have definitely given in to temptation. In fact, I kind of know what you mean by that whole getting carried off into temptation. I've been there. And we actually have a place for that, a name for that place you get carried off to in this church. And we call that brokenness. And when we, when we kind of go our own way, when we kind of follow our own temptations, our own lusts, our own desires, and we go the path of sin, we find ourselves in that place of brokenness. And if you're with us today and you have not, do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're like, yeah, that's exactly what I feel like. It's going to come up on the board here. That's exactly what I feel like. I want you to, I want to just say something that hopefully will be comforting to you. As you scan this room, every single person in this room has been where you're at. Every single one of us. There is not a person in this room who could look up here and say, no, I didn't do that. Every single one of us have done that. We've gone our own way. We've been in, in lured in, enticed by sin and temptation. We've gone that path of sin. We have felt that brokenness. But here is the good news. The good news is that God, being fully aware of our situation, sent his only son. And that man's name was Jesus Christ. He was literally God in the flesh. And he lived the perfect life that we had failed to live. Not to show that we could do it, but to do it for us. And he died on a cross and he took the full punishment of our sin. The death that this passage is talking about. The death that we deserve. He took on himself, even though he hadn't earned it. So that he might take his righteousness and give it to us. And that's exactly what he did because Jesus Christ died on the cross, but he rose again three days later. And in that moment, a great exchange took place for anyone who will place their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, where he took the sins of us and he imparted on us his righteousness. You may ask, well, how do I get this righteousness? How does that come to be? How do I receive that? And the answer is very simple. And the Bible speaks to it very cl clearly. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. We call that here repenting and believing. First thing we have to do is we have to believe that Jesus really said he was. That he really did die on the cross for our sins. That he really was the sinless, perfect lamb. And that he died for us and he rose from the grave three days later. But then we have to confess him as Lord and make him the one that we follow. We have to do like we talked about what needed doing this morning. where We go to God and we say, I will follow you. And we won't do it perfectly. And we'll make mistakes. But we make a decision. And we point our nose. Notice that turning around there towards Christ. And we say, I will follow you. And when we do this, and we do it in faith, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we make him the Lord of our life, then he will save us and cleanse us from our sin. He will give us the Holy Spirit. And he will empower us to resist temptation and sin so that we might serve the Lord with all that we are. And here's probably what the best news about all this is. That Jesus, that offer, that gift that he wants to give you of the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, that is offered to you freely. 
if you will but believe and surrender your life to him. If you are with us today and you feel like you have been carried off by sin and you feel yourself in that place of brokenness and you're trying, you want to get out of it, but you don't know how it's going to work because every time you think you're getting your feet underneath you, then they just get knocked back out of you again and you feel you're just stuck in that brokenness. Then we want to offer this to you today. What is preventing you from making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? What is keeping you from trusting in him? If the answer is nothing, then we would invite you today to respond by making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And we want to talk to you a little bit more about what that is. And so as we close up our time this morning, Joe is going to come up and he, we're going to sing one last song. And I'm going to stand up here. And if you'd like to talk to me a little bit more about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to do that. Maybe you don't want to talk to me. Maybe you look at me and think, that's a big, scary, bald man. I don't want to talk to him. I bet you, you came with someone here today that can share with you what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Don't leave without having that conversation. Turn to them even as soon as we start praying and say, after this is over, I want to talk. And have those conversations. But don't let this picture slowly fade from your mind. Give your life to Christ. And you will be amazed at what he can do through you. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you for the reminder that we have in the book of James. God, I pray that we will recognize the reality of, of sin and the reality of temptation. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. Lord, that we would begin to see temptation and sin for what it is. And, Lord, that we would cry out to you that you might show us the way of escape. Lord, that we might trust in you and that we might know who you are, God, and we might ultimately just cast ourselves before you. God, as we look at the closing of our passage, we are reminded that, that those who have placed their hope and trust in you are the first fruits of this resurrection that we see in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would help us to just make that known to the nations. And Lord, that through that, that your name might be glorified. God, if there's anyone here today that needs to give their life to you, that needs to, to, to deepen their commitment, that needs to, to deepen their trust in you, Lord, I pray today is the day that they do it. And God, that you would begin to transform them from the inside out so that people might see you in them. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.